Hey, what's up? Welcome to Canucks Talk Friday edition of the show. Happy Friday, everyone. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host on the road is Canucks insider Thomas Trance, also covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Drancer, what's going on, man? Not much. Stayed behind in Boston. Going to go see BU, Tom Ah. Volander, and the Celebrini Bros play tonight. Uh, Should be fun. I was going to say that I missed practice in Detroit. I was going to say off the top, I was like, I actually don't know what city Drance is in. <laughs> is it Boston, Detroit, other? I have no idea. So yeah. <laughs> thanks for filling well, me I, in. I was originally supposed to go to Milwaukee tomorrow. Yeah, that's but, where I uh, thought you might be. Yeah, no, instead I'm um, going to go to Winnipeg next weekend. Yay. <laughs> anyway. <Wow>. Um, <laughs> <laughs> A real Sophie's choice there, Milwaukee or Winnipeg. <laughs> Hey, hey, come on. Don't do not do Milwaukee dirty like no, that. No, that's true. Um, anyway, uh, actually a lot to talk about today. Uh, I thought a pretty interesting game last night, although uh-huh. not the result the Canucks wanted, and we'll get all into all of that in the whiteboard. Well, let's kick it off with the whiteboard. All right, now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? It is your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks today, February 9th. Yes? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you always get so gung-ho and excited into the first headline. Yeah. And I want to steal it. All right. Is that okay? Sure. Can I steal? Please do. Sorry. I want to steal the first headline. Okay. Okay? Regression has come. (laughs) Regression has come. And it's not the bad news that we might have expected earlier in the year. All right. Okay. So that's that's the I want to start with headline number 1 because I didn't think the Canucks played poorly last night. Honestly, I didn't. I thought they generated far too little, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't think their game was off so much as their offensive production, their ability to generate chances was way off. Um defensively, like, I don't think they played like a team that should have given up four goals. It was just that every mistake was in the back of the net. And and even then, you know, it's like a, a puck handling mishap between goalie and players uh, for the first goal. A second goal, it's like an interchange that goes awry. Um, Hughes and Miller have been doing that interchange all year long. We've never seen it yep. fail. And it fails, breakaway, boom. Demko beaten, um, glove side high. And then you get the most unlucky goal the Canucks have had scored against them this year by a mile. Like those types of goals do happen, but they have not happened at any point this season until last night to the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Pasternak stick breaks, puck ricochets off like six different things off Myers, off Myers, stick, not his fault. Nothing he could do. Just one of those seeing eye bouncing pucks and the puck actually ricochets off of all those different people like magic bullets its way into the net before Pasternak's broken stick blade hits the ground. Like, it's truly comedy of errors stuff. And then they have one really bad breakdown, in my opinion, on the on the Zaka goal. Yeah. But, you know, th- you're going to have games like that. I-, I didn't think the Canucks played. Like, I actually thought you could see the spine of what's made this team so successful over the last two months 
throughout that game. Honestly, I did. Well, I despite just thought- despite losing four nothing, there was never a moment where during the run of even strength play, you were like, "Oh my gosh, Boston's all over them." You know what I mean? Oh. Like they can't get out of their own end here. Like it was never like that. As you Absolutely said, it was not. these one moments of mistakes that happened to end up in the back of their net. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's some things you can unpack that that might be valid concerns to take off the, um, to take from last night's game, and we can get into that later. But here's what I want to point out. Nine games now, okay? Nine games dating back to the um, narrow win in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And the Canucks have shot 7.3% over the course of this nine games, right? That's 20th in the league. Now, that's well within the range of normal. That's Mm -hmm. like not even a standard deviation below average. But... For this team that's run at like 13% for most of the year, a nine-game stretch, which at this point is like 20% of their season, at like a very human shooting clip, is notable. And what's also notable about it, despite the fact that their goaltending's been lights out, like 9-3-3, save percentage, 5-on-5, keeping their overall PDO north of 100. Despite that, you know, this team's had the regression hit and last night was the first time in that nine-game stretch that they failed to pick up a point. Yep. Like, this team, and we've talked about it too, this team has peaked in terms of the uh, the quality of their game. They're playing such good hockey that even now as they've hit this sort of um, inevitable regressive period in play, they're still picking up points. They're still winning games. They're still playing good hockey. So... I just wanted to point this out because I've sort of been like, man, at some point they're not going to shoot 13%. At some point they're not going to shoot 13%. Well, now they're down to 11 and a half. They've had three weeks of pedestrian finishing and they're still winning games because they've actually rounded out, you know, improved the quality of their play to such a level. And, and honestly, as I really think about what we saw last night in Boston, and I know there's a million things to agonize about and handering about and mm-hmm. joke about. Um, you know, it never feels good for Canucks fans to see their team lose in Boston. I get it. Like, to me, that's the headline. Headline number one is, like, regression's hit. This team has not been the luckiest team in hockey for a three-week stretch here. And they're still one of the best teams in hockey. That's a really positive sign, actually, uh, that I sort of come out of last night thinking about. Yeah, that posture not goal in general. It's like, hey, that's what the, the Canucks are supposed to get those goals. I mean, I guess well, they, they ended up giving it to Geeky, right? But it's like, that was just – that would have been even – uh, fluky relative to some of the goals the Canucks have scored this year, right? And finally, uh, yeah. one of those goes against them for a change. <laughs> I mean, aside from the Ottawa game where they had like five yeah. of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but no, the, uh, yeah, I mean, did you hear Demko's commentary post game? I was like asking him about that goal just because it was, you know, and, and he was like, well, you know, they went to the net and sometimes good things happen. It's similar to some of the things we've done that have worked this year. And I was like, okay, good. Like that's yeah. at least there's, you know, at least there's good consistency there. And, you know, I will, I do th- – overall, as you said, Canucks fans don't like to see a result like that against Boston. But I did think it was kind of funny. We spent all of yesterday, fans, us in general, you know, uh, reminiscing about 2011. And, oh, the, the rivalry is back. Big game. And it's like, oh, wait, I remember how those games in Boston went in 2011. Didn't <laughs> I don't know why we're surprised that it happened like that. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe we didn't want it to be – to feel like 2011 uh, again in Boston. But – so somebody texts in, you know, really seven shots through half a game. And I think as you alluded to, I think it's totally valid to 
be dissatisfied with their offensive uh, production in that game and the chances that they generated. Now, before we get into that, I will say the other thing that stands out to me, that first shorthanded goal against, you know, 30 seconds and change into the game, and you leave Brad Marchand, one of the best players on the Bruins, you know, one of the best wingers in hockey for a long time now, all alone in front of the net. And I thought it was striking in particular because of the kind of new emphasis we've heard Rick Tockett place on hockey IQ and high hockey IQ plays and being a high hockey IQ team. And I think that's kind of symbolic of the evolution of the Canucks going from, you know, a team that's trying to kind of establish this foundation and this structure and push for a playoff spot now to where they're trying to say, you know, we are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. Management has gone out and made a big trade. We're trying to go deep. What are those next things you have to prove? And, you know, it was just yesterday pregame talk. It was talking about how smart the Bruins are. And that's one of the hallmarks of the organization. And that play stood out to me as just not a high hockey IQ play, right? And I, I'm not going to panic too much about the the run of shorthanded goals against, you know, is there some lackadaisical play, and especially on the retrievals? Yeah, but it was the IQ part of it. And I think, you know, talk it talked about it after the game. I'm going to be really fascinated to see how this team manages that aspect of the game, right? Realizing that, hey, we have yes, it's 30 seconds into the game, we're on the power play, that's great, but we still have to be locked into our details, especially against a really good team like the Bruins. So we can get into the five-on-five offensive stuff because I think that's totally valid, but that was the aspect of the game other than that that concerned me the most as well, that, that IQ slip so early in the game against mm. a good team. You know, what's unfortunate about that Marchand goal uh, aside from the fact that the Canucks surrendered the third fastest shorthanded goal yep. in NHL history. Um, and it was Brad Marchand who scored it. Um, for me, it was talk it jump Montgomery right off the hop. Like, it, you know, on the road, when you're submitting your starting lineup, mm-hmm. right, the coach submits, the road coach submits their starting lineup card first. Mm-hmm. And the moment I saw it, the moment I saw it, I thought, oh my God, I think talk it, I think Talkett suckered Montgomery here, and and here's how. When Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronick are on the ice, Canucks fans know how different the game is, right? Mm. Like, it it doesn't matter what number forward line is on with Hughes and Hironic, Like, you're dangerous with Hughes and Hironic. You, you, you have the opportunity to do all sorts of stuff. So he throws his quote-unquote third line out, but with Hughes and Hironic, and seeing that, Cassidy answers – with his third line and third pair. Mm. And the moment I saw it, I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. The Canucks, you know, the Bruins shoot it in. Canucks get a clean breakout. Dakota Joshua breakaway maybe should have been a penalty shot. Honestly, I thought it should have been a penalty shot. And the Canucks draw power play, and I was like, wow, that was awesome. Like, that was incredible work by Tockett. Um, Just like a really smart way to give your team an early edge. Uh, you know, yeah. Maybe you just get a scoring chance out of it. Maybe you don't. But, like, that's a weighted dice that Tockett gave his team right off the hop. So for that to then result in a shorthanded goal against is, like, so frustrating. Or, or yeah. was for me because it was actually just, like, a really sharp, clever way uh, to bait a coach, a home coach, as a road coach. And it worked just about as perfectly as it could have. Like, I really loved uh, that start and, and, and the coach's impact on it because yeah. that was, you know – there's not a lot of decisions that you get to make that really like weight the dice mm. in, in in a real game, but that was one 
that worked out perfectly and that was really cleverly done, I thought, by Tockett. Yeah. So, disappointing. Yeah, and as I said, it just seemed like the kind of thing that, you know, when Tockett compares where the, where the team wants to be to some of the great teams around the league, like that's a play that you don't see from the real, from the teams that are really clicking the really elite, you know, year after year contenders. And I wonder how much that will stick out uh, for Tockett, you know, going into you know these what, weekends though? games. Go ahead. I mean, I mean, you're right. I, I see your point. I agree with you. And I'm not like, saying it's going to be like endemic to the Canucks going forward. I, I no. just thought it was striking because we've heard that emphasis from Talkit this week and specifically comparing how the Bruins manage those moments and have for years. And then for yes. it to jump out 30 seconds in, it was like, oh, boy, that's exactly what he's talking about, you know? You know, that said, I did have a thought while watching the game last night, which is that, you know, the Bruins have always won, so it's never been talked about. But when you when you watch them live, which I don't get to do more than twice a year, um, you know, in, unless they are in the bubble or something. Yeah. Um, like David Pasternak takes really long shifts. There was a sequence in the second period where his shift length ran so long that uh, Bruins defender sort of keying the breakout like was looking off him. Because they thought he should get off. And then when the Bruins <laughs> defender gained the uh, red line and shot it in, um, he uh, he went into forecheck. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. Um, those are the sorts of things. Like, if Pasternak played in a Canadian market and the team was losing, yep. and he was doing little stuff like that, um, you know, he'd probably get some of the JT Miller treatment that we saw last season. But because it's Boston, because they're always winning – and because he's so good, you know, like we we don't even think about it. It's not even it's not even I've never even heard it said about Pasternak. And yet watching it, there was a lot of those moments, just little things where you're like, hmm, hmm. Um, again, this isn't criticism of, a, of one of the I mean, he is the most complete offensive winger in hockey, an absolutely brilliant player. Thirty one teams would be blessed <laughs> to have yes. him on their on their roster. But, you know, I, I don't I. It was just something like a gut check moment for me, like a reminder that it's different when you're watching these guys play live with the level of focus that we bring in game, right. you know, certainly when we're there uh, versus, you know, when you don't. And and I wouldn't have I, I, like I, I guess I've I would have sort of thought about it uh, about Pasternak, but not to the extent of like, hey, that, you know, there's really not much of a gap frankly, between the stuff that we've spent months talking about, um, years talking about, JT Miller does this, JT Miller does that, versus what Pasternak did throughout last night's game. It's just one team's never been down in the dumps for like a multi-season mm. disappointing run. One team has, and I think that shapes the conversation entirely. Yeah, just, just, a, it definitely just does. a side observation. But, I mean, it's also a chicken and the egg thing, right? It's like, well, you, if you're still winning while doing those things – it's inherently less of a problem. You know what I mean? But right. I, I get what you're saying uh, as well, that it's just not under the spotlight in the same way. Um, do you want to talk about the top six? Should we should we save that for later, or well, should just, we get into it? Just a, note, just a note on shorthanded goals. The Canucks, three games ago, the Canucks were tied with the Bruins and the Islanders yes. for the fewest shorthanded goals allowed. They're now a t ten, top ten most shorthanded goals allowed. Um, it matters in that it really messes with your – like the goal differential that you generate on the power play, you know, like obviously everyone knows I like stats and analytics and predict predictive mm -hmm. metrics, but I also hate stats, right? I mean, plus minus point percentage, right? Like the, you can think about all the things that I um, like 
literally the NHL standings without context are like things that annoy me <laughs> if the stats aren't being properly contextualized. And power play percentage is one of those for me too, uh, just to add to my list of bugaboos. Uh, power play percentage has always been one that sort of annoys me because over the course of a full season, like, some teams draw more penalties than other teams, right? So if you're a 19% power play and I'm a 20% power play, but you drew 15 more opportunities, well, you probably have two more goals than me. You know, like, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, why should my power play be considered better if yours is doing more outscoring? You know, like... And, and so for me, the power play goal differential thing is is a, a better indicator in some ways of, of a team's power play effectiveness. And again, th like three games ago, you know, the Canucks were top three in the league by this metric. For much of the year, they've been first or second, right? And now, you know, they're in a three-way tie for fifth, which again, oh no, sorry, two-way tie for fifth. Yeah. Which again, really good. That's tied with the Rangers. It's only behind the Bruins, the Hurricanes, the Avalanche, and the Lightning. Some really great teams on that list. But it does matter. I mean, top five versus top two is, is a distinction, right? Like, there's a difference between elite and very good. And, you know, just this week, with the amount of power play goals that the Canucks have surrendered, they've sort of gone down a tier in how I rate them, you know, or, or objectively, sort of quantitatively how they rate league-wide. Uh, in terms of the work the power play is doing outscoring opponents. So um, I don't think this is a problem. My, my guess would be that this is a pure, uh, like, Poisson burst, like random distribution, nothing to worry about. But just worth noting how fine the margins are and how we should factor in goals against into our analysis of a, of a team's power play efficiency. And I will say about the shorthanded goals – to me, they're they're basically like effort and focus based, right? Like a lot, a few of them have been. You know, there's always going to be every team is going to give up shorthanded goals against. That happens. Bad bounces, as you said, the one specifically on the interchange with uh, with Miller and Hughes there kind of falls into that category a little bit. Some of the other recent ones have just been a little bit lackadaisical going back to retrieve the puck, and to me that actually concerns me less because that's an easy fix, right? You just you pay more attention. You go back a little harder. As Rick Tockett said, you stay more connected. And I have a lot of faith that Rick Tockett is going to get that corrected in his team's game. It's not as if it's like, oh, penalty kills have found a flaw in the Canucks. And they can really pressure them when they're in the zone and get it going the other way and exploit that. I don't think it's a structural thing. I don't think it's a skill thing or anything mm, like that. I, I think it's just been a bit of sloppiness. I think teams are pressuring Canucks flankers more aggressively. I, I think the lack of a down low threat I think has caused teams to feel a little bit safer uh, fronting the flankers differently. Um, so that's the, the guy on the guys on the half. Yeah. And, and I think you saw it on that play. I think you saw Carolina do it with a, with a good degree of success too uh, in the game um, on Tuesday. And, you know, I think that's where the Lindholm ad, Right. It, it, you know, hopefully, especially if he continues to perform in that spot the way he did on Tuesday, like should help. Yeah, I, I do think the Canucks need more down low, um, like more of a down low threat, given that, you know, like at the time they traded him, Kuzmenko had two deflection goals all year. He had 14 the prior season. Right. I mean, that changes so much in terms of where teams triggers are going to be when they when they feel comfortable pressuring on the PK uh, when they go at you. I do think right now that the Canucks are being fronted high. 
um, you know, especially the flankers, uh, with, uh, with a little bit more aggression. And, and that's going to require an adjustment. And, and also, you know, the clubs proactively made the change in personnel to help address it. But that's probably going to take some time to be seamless, to be like really um, turnkey, turnkey in terms of how the club plays. I think that's also, though, like, I think you're right about that. But that's not it's not as if there's a direct line between that and all of the shorthanded goals. You know yep. what I mean? So I think it's yep. like, yeah, maybe you have to adjust. And there's always that that cat and mouse and, you know, punch counterpunch. Uh, thing between power plays and and penalty killing units, so that's fine. But again, I don't think it's anything that's uncorrectable, and and so much of it comes down to effort uh, and just awareness and IQ, as Talkit was talking about last night. Um, let's save the top six discussion. I thought there was a really interesting clip from Rick Talkit in the post game show that I want to play later on uh, as well in the show. Rumor roundup, and we have an interesting one: a late breaking ad that's not directly Canucks related, but uh, it's a name that's come up, so I want to get it in. Uh, Andrew Peters and Craig Reve, two former NHL players, have a podcast after the whistle uh, covering the Boston or sorry, covering the Buffalo Sabres, I should say. And of course, Craig Reve, a former Buffalo Sabre towards the end of his career. They reported that a very yep. reliable source today told them Buffalo is shopping Casey Middlestat. Hard. That is the the exact language they use. Shot Kevin Adams shopping Casey Middlestat hard. Doesn't want to pay him. Of course, pending RFA having a really good year this year, so it becomes one of those difficult things. He's got a very strong arbitration case. What kind of uh, salary are you prepared? Of course, Buffalo has given out a lot of long term deals to young players already. Do they see Middlestat in that mold? Based on this reporting, maybe not. And I know the Canucks have already gone out and added a forward in Elias Lindholm. But, you know, the conversation we were having yesterday, Drancer, is, okay, the 2025 first, that goes into the category with Philander and LeCaramacchi, where you only do it for a long-term needle-moving fit. If Casey Middlestad is available, the salary is relatively straightforward to fit in this year because you haven't paid him yet, that becomes a very, very interesting name to monitor on the market. Yeah, I'm a big fan, actually. I, I haven't been, traditionally, like, he, he was, a, you know, the sort of one-dimensional offensive player that uh, I certainly don't tend to include on my, my guys' lists. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've really liked the development of his game, what I've seen from him this season in particular. Way more impactful as a two-way guy, and then obviously he's broken out offensively. You know, moving him to the wing, like, I think he's one of those guys. Moving him to the wing, mm-hmm. I, I think when he plays fast, you get more from him. And, and I think wingers sometimes have less time with the puck and have to play a little more instinctively. There's a little bit less of that, like, read the game F3 stuff, a little more of that reckless abandon F1 stuff. Um, that, to me, you know, I, I, I mean, I, when I saw him in Buffalo earlier this month, I was, like, eyes open. I was just like, oh, my God, this guy looks totally different than he has, you know, even last year when he had a productive season, but I, I didn't see as much of the play-driving stuff. Um you know, I, Canucks do need some help in the top six. I, yeah. I'm all for it. I mean, I think Middlestat's versatile. I think he's skilled. I think he's still young. He's going to have a banger arbitration case, but the Canucks have shown that they're not afraid of that because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Philip Ronick's also going to have a banger uh-huh. arbitration case. Uh, and, and, of course, you have the opportunity to just walk away, right? I mean, it could be a rental. It could be – so I, I would say, you, you know, need to need to – Given all your unrestricted free agents and the need to sort of approach that with flexibility and optionality top of mind, you know, I, I I wouldn't be like banging the table that the Canucks should 
pay a non-rental price for Middlestat, but if you could acquire them at the price of like a, a, another good rental, um, you know that to me would would make sense. I, I wouldn't say the top three assets, the next year's first or the Volander Lakaramaki assets, would would be ones I'd consider there though. Yeah, the 2025 first. I mean, again, you have to. It would really depend on kind of your projections and what you thought would it would take to get a deal done if he's a long term fit in your cap and all of that. But I mean, he's gonna he's gonna have his second consecutive sixty point season. Man. Yeah, and you're talking you're talking five and a half, five he, five and a half minimum. I mean that that doesn't scare me that much to be honest. Like, no, it doesn't scare me either. Yeah. But but you need to understand first, like how much. I mean, if Pedersen and Hironik are sure. coming in at yeah. 20, you know, then then that extra five and a half uh, would leave you with 12. And, and the only defenders you'd have signed are Hughes, Hironik, Susie, Juleson. Yeah. You know, um, like that's that's four more players on defense for 12 million. Um, in addition to replacing Lafferty, Joshua, Bluger and company. So, I, you know, I don't know. That's I think there's a lot. I think there's a bigger discussion about is there more money you can move off the wings as well that are already there. But we're getting ahead mm. of our two, two or three steps ahead of ourselves. But anyways, okay. Casey Middlestat, his name is out there uh, officially now. Again, that's from the uh, After the Whistle podcast with Andrew Peters and Craig Reve that Buffalo's shopping him. And yeah. Uh, one year left, or this is his final year in his deal, making two point five million. He's twenty five, and as you said, you know, despite the reputation previously as kind of all offense, you know, it's not he's not an undersized player. He's six one, around two hundred pounds. So uh, the fact that he's kind of broken out in times in terms of his two way game, I think, makes him a really really fascinating uh, target. Okay, we'll whip through the rest of the whiteboard here. Dom's not here, so he's not chirping us to get off the air, but uh, we'll we'll try to wrap it up as quickly as we can. Lineup notes. You weren't at practice today. I haven't seen any updated lines or anything like that from practice in Detroit. We'll see if we get some Rick Tockett audio at some point uh, during the show. I'm not sure who exactly uh, was on the ground to cover that practice, but it will be interesting to see. Of course, they play tomorrow morning in Detroit. Does the kind of dud of a game against Boston, in particular from the top six, does that spur Rick Tockett to mix things up a little bit, try some different combinations, audition maybe some of the other wingers in those top six roles? Uh, that's what I'll be watching for, certainly, when we get more information on yeah. that. Playoff forecast, despite the loss, Canucks still favored to win the Pacific with a healthy 64% chance of doing so. They also still have the highest... That's dented pretty significantly over yesterday. Yeah, I think no? it was down from 73%. Yeah, something so, like that. I mean, but but again, the model's always going to overreact because of how the model views the Edmonton Oilers. Yes, right. Like <laughs> very the very favorably. Always, the model always believes that the Oilers are like a natural disaster. You know, like are like capable Inevitable. of washing up on shore. Yep. Yeah. So the model's always going to overreact to any like sign of slippage from the Canucks because it thinks the Oilers are the best team in the league. Uh, Canucks still have the highest point projection in the Western Conference at 111 points. And by the way, now, with a couple of wins, and I know everyone, you know, oh, no, Andrew Kuzmenko's lighting the lamp in Calgary, but Calgary with two wins, including over the Devils, uh, barely now with the eighth best playoff chances in the Western Conference (laughs) per the Western Conference (laughs) at 34%, just ahead uh, of the Nashville Predators at 31%. Uh. So all of a sudden, Calgary is... (laughs) I don't want to call it the driver's seat. That seems way too extreme, but they're somehow in front of this turtle derby in the Western Conference. Well, and we'll see what else they do, right? I mean, that's uh, hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah. The striver class teams, it's so bunched up. It's actually going to be a lot of fun to track 
over the balance of the season. And hopefully if the Canucks can stay in first in the West, right, that'll be high stakes um, for Canucks fans to follow. Uh, gambling odds, the 49ers are uh, <laughs> still minus two and a half favorites in the big weekend game. No. Um, Canucks are You want opening... to give us your props? Is that, is that where this is going? <laughs> no, we'll save that for Dimitri. All right. All right. Oh, let's bet Super uh, Let's draft Super Bowl props. Ooh. Yeah. Love that. Um, all right. Canucks are road favorites in Detroit on Saturday. The line has opened. Um, you can get the Canucks anywhere from minus 120 to minus 130 with a sort of minus 125 consensus, which makes the uh, Detroit Red Wings, you know, plus 105 um, home dogs. So not not a, like that's pretty close to a pick em, But given that Detroit is home, the market obviously rates the Canucks higher than Detroit, but maybe by not as big a margin as you'd expect. Um, the over under is set at six and a half for Saturday's game, which is pretty high. These two teams are both like the NHL shooting percentage champions. Yes. So if you if you think they're both bound to regress, you can get plus money on under six and a half. Pretty rare that you get an opportunity to buy an under uh, like at six and a half for plus money. Uh, but that is the opportunity looming for you on Saturday if you're you know a complete sicko and feel comfortable. Uh, placing a bet like that, given the quality of Vancouver's finishers and the quality of Detroit's goaltending. That's the whiteboard for today, February 9th. We're way over, so we'll take a break. Send your text in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. More Canucks talk coming up here on Sportsnet 650.